G'day and welcome back to the My Peak Podcast. Great to have everyone back for another exciting episode. Today we're going to run through a bit of a summary of the BBL, the Big Bash, the season that has been Browning. Cameron. Got to be pumped for today's episode. Pumped for today's episode, legend. It's been another cracking year of the Big Bash. It's gone a little bit long, but they're making adjustments to that, but really uh, excited to see the uh, conclusion of the BBL this year. So today we're going to run through a bit of a summary. We're going to go through some players, um, some teams, talk about some tactics and things that we've noticed from teams that have perhaps done really well or for some teams that underperformed throughout the year. Then we're going to run through the team of the tournament that's been picked. And then we're going to look forward to uh, some changes that we think could be made to make the Big Bash bigger and better for not just next season, but for many seasons ahead. Yeah, looking forward to it. Cam has filled me in on his new structure for next year. He's the CEO of the Big Bash, apparently, so it'll be interesting um, to see where they go with this, but Cam's got a couple of really good ideas for the Big Bash, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, there's still plenty of ironing out to do before I take my CEO role, but the changes that I would recommend are actually there. look like they've already made some of those changes for next season. Mm. So perhaps they're building towards these, but I also have a couple that probably a little bit outside the box, but I think could make a big difference. Well, should we start with our uh, predictions prior and just see where we ended up? Yeah, let's. We, if you didn't listen to, we did a podcast just the, the I think it was the day before the first game, and we went through some predictions for the tournament which we made. So we'll revisit them quickly, see if we were close or how far off the mark we were. All right, well, let's start with our first one, which was most runs in the tournament. Yeah, we both had a stinkery. <laughs> Absolute stinker. And um, actually, as bad as the prediction was, I'm still very disappointed in the season that the Hurricanes as a whole had. Um, we'll touch I, on that a little bit later, too. I, I picked Wade and or McDermott, and I think I've uh, settled on Wade, and uh, turns out they both stuck it right up. <laughs> well... At least Wade made a couple of scores. McDermott, I don't know what his top score was. Mm. Wouldn't have been much more than 20. Yeah, crazy. After the year he had last year with, was it back-to-back hundreds? Yep, yep. Um, to not even be able to put up, yeah, one decent score. I don't think he even hit a 50. And you saw throughout the tournament, at the back end, the last few games when they were uh, must-win games, you could see when he got out how frustrated he was. yeah. I even saw the body language of the Hurricanes team, not all of them, but some of them when they were sort of dead rubber games, they weren't going to make it, still wasn't great. And I think that just sort of yeah put the icing on the cake to what their season was. I think they had high expectations and um, the fact that they were well behind the eight ball for the whole tournament, I think even they were really frustrated come the back end. Yeah, so we'll touch on the Hurricanes as a whole a little bit later on. I had Marcus Stoinis as my... <laughs> well, to be fair, he missed a lot of games. The poor bugger had his back against the wall. COVID round one, yeah. yeah, straight up in the air, second ball, then golden duck the next round or something like that. So he uh, didn't didn't start off on the right foot, did he? But in saying that, I he batted four, which I didn't see coming. I mm. I think it's it's not a bad move, but in that team when he didn't have much support around him anyway. What do you think he's trying to do batting for? Is he just trying to play his like Australian cricket role, like middle order, get better at it? Like, why was he not opening the batting? Like the openers, Joe Clark and um, 
what's the other fellow's name? Tom Rogers. Tommy Rogers. Were they they couldn't have batted anywhere else. Like what what was the <laughs> what was the story behind that? You reckon? Well, I think you are right. He's playing. He did say prior to that first game when he had his COVID that that's where he feels like he can make the biggest difference. Like that's his best role is batting more in the middle order and. Like you touched on, for Australia, that's where he can make the biggest difference. But I think for this Stars team, he could have made a bigger difference facing more balls at the top of the order. He often come in losing two quick wickets or he come in and it was like he only could face a maximum of like 40 balls. And we know Stoinis can do damage with 40 balls, but to do that consistently in a team that's struggling is going to be a harder harder task than what it could be if he was out there opening the bat in the power play mm. get the team off to a good start and have these other guys come in when perhaps they're on the front foot rather than Stoinis coming in on the back foot yeah well two things from me I think one there's evidence there to say how good he is opening the batting a couple of seasons ago he was virtually unstoppable at the top of the order and I think if you've got the evidence there you've got to roll with it I think that uh, having him opening the batting, uh, not to say it would have changed a star's season dramatically, but I definitely think they would have uh, performed a little bit better, allowed the guys coming in after him to have a little bit more freedom, unlike you, uh, like you said, Jugs, they were regularly two for not many, and there was sort of a little bit of consolidation. I also think if Maxwell was playing, he probably would have been a bit more confident to... Mm open the batting I think he was trying to maybe glue that sort of order together I'm not too sure yeah nice all right let's move on to our leading wicket prediction so I predicted Nathan Ellis yeah good prediction yeah you laughed at me at the time but no I did not (laughs) you did actually but I think that was for different reasons um he was ninth on the on the list. He took eighteen wickets for the tournament Mm, that's a good tournament again yeah consistency isn't he he um but he let's see do I have economy rates? His economy was 8.5. Yeah, a little bit more expensive. Well, maybe. not really, because he's bowling four of the hardest overs in Good the Indians every game. Good point. And that Hurricane side were often chasing quite big scores too. So in a team that was probably leaking more runs, 8.5 is not, not too bad. Uh, if you look around him, like there's guys, Samsey, he took the same amount of wickets at 9.2. Mm. Wes Agar, same at 9.3. Um, Wes Agar's had a sneaky tournament then. Yeah, he didn't play. He only played 13 games yeah. too. But, yeah, what was your... Who did you tip? You tipped Dorshus, didn't I you? had Dorshus and Abbott settled on Dorshus. My yeah, unlucky. Thought, thought process behind that was uh, Abbott at the other end, uh, they understand how good he is and potentially had to attack elsewhere, which I thought Dorshus would be able to scoop on that turns out Abbott's just a gun um, <laughs> <laughs> well Abbott was the leading wicket taker of the tournament taking 28 wickets yeah so there you so go you were onto something there and where'd Dorsch finish Dorsch is not in the top 15 which yeah, I have in wow. front of me uh, but he also didn't play all the games mm. so Sean Abbott 28 wickets he went at just 7.8 runs and over yeah and he's bowled, uh, to be fair he didn't bowl much in the power play when yeah but he still bowled um surge and death overs yeah so he that's did impressive stats yeah so he's proven why like he took his 150th wicket for the big bash this tournament see the leading wicket taker of all time yeah, yeah. yeah not surprised one bit awesome so then we moved on and we made a couple of uh Surprise package. Yeah, surprise packages. And this was one of the few areas which we absolutely nailed. <laughs> yeah, this was my favourite area because I was, I don't know, maybe as a grade cricketer, you think a little bit more around who are these people that maybe aren't so well recognised. And 
Um, the first person we both picked was Ollie Davies, who's been a really good cricketer in grey cricket and you know just established himself in the Big Bash in recent years. But it really lined up well for him to have a good tournament this year. And uh, on the, uh, we hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, he really relished like batting three, didn't mm, he? Mm. It looks like TB told him after Sanger going down with his shoulder, it was like, and then when Russo left and Hales as well. They kind of said to Ollie, you're the man. Mm. And even when Warner come back into the team, it was like, Ollie was still the man. And for him, like that's a phenomenal season. He um, finished 11th in the runs, scoring 333 runs. Um, doesn't have strike rate here. I should have looked at strike Which is rates. quite impressive to think because the first couple of games could even have been the first three or four. He was batting seven. Yeah, he, he batted was seven. right down the yeah. order, and um, you know, he come out behind Samsy, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, game yeah, one. and then as the opportunity sort of developed, and uh, he just grabbed it with both hands, and there was a couple of games there where he looked like oh, a class above some of those players. Yeah, and then we both went with a second member, and we nailed this one for two different reasons. So I went with Aaron Hardy, who ended up finishing. I tipped him to. Like he finished second overall in runs, scored 443 runs in the tournament. He is surely going to play so much cricket for Australia. This kid is an absolute freak. So he also, like Ollie, relished when um, he got put up to three and scored some big runs. Obviously, a little bit easier for him getting to play at Optus Stadium in mm. Perth on where there were some pretty ordinary batting wickets in the tournament, especially for more the East Coast um, for Sydney, Melbourne. Um, but in saying that, like he looks so comfortable. And then, like we said in the preseason, it was the Scorchers have so many bowling options. He gets underutilized as a bowler, like Mitch Marsh does when he's playing in the team. Mm. So he's still got so much uh, to give with the ball in hand as well. Someone that can bowl probably just over 140 k's per hour from a very tall trajectory, uh, trajectory and be very effective throughout the the middle overs of a big bash game too so he's a very exciting prospect moving forward and probably it'd probably be hard to say that he wouldn't be if cam green was to go down again in australia that aaron hardy would probably be the next guy in yeah i i like that tip jugs i think um he is a like for like. They train hard together. They're probably very good mates. I think, yeah, you can. There's a lot of each other in both of their styles. So it'd be great to see him slide in at some stage when Greeny might be unavailable. And you actually marvelled your other one, mm. a guy that didn't play all that much cricket, unfortunately, but for good reasons. But you tipped Matt Renshaw. Yeah, yeah, got Matty Renshaw in as a surprise package uh, in my tips this year, and. Um, even though he's a pretty well-established player, I still thought that he uh, wasn't quite up to scratch last year with the Strikers. Um, and I thought, back to Brizzy, he seemed like he's been working hard on his game, if you follow sort of the socials and the media and things like that. And a bit of a gut feeling. And, uh, yeah, he was phenomenal and, and uh, won the Heat uh, numerous amount of games. His strike rate was what was super impressive uh, this year. Yeah, that's the surprise packet in, I think. When I thought of Matty Renshaw batting four, I thought he could be someone that faces a lot of balls through the middle and then tries to accelerate at the back end. But he was a he was probably their best striker, mm, mm. <laughs> except for that one game that Josh Brown went off. Mm. He consistently struck at 
probably like 200 plus yeah he was phenomenal so and then obviously that innings that won them the game which has ultimately played a huge role in the heat season which we'll uh, find out tomorrow night whether they can go on and play in a grand final but Matt Renshaw is a big influence on that outcome best pickup of the tournament <laughs> was our next one and uh, yeah we had a couple of donuts here I went in with John O'Wells which I think in theory should have been a good pickup we both went in with Wellsy yeah. for our local player unfortunately uh, Wellsy had a bit of a lean tournament um, don't know what the story is there whether it's a different batting wicket a different outfit different role I mean different environment i'm not sure he just wasn't up to his normal standard this tournament i don't think they they needed him as much as what he's been needed in previous years at the strikers mm, so I've, likes the responsibility well yeah but like literally just i don't reckon he would face as many balls like yeah. finchie had a phenomenal tournament and we thought wellsy was going to do what finchie kind of did mm, and mm, finchie kind of did it so wells wasn't required to face as many balls through the middle period on those wickets that were hard to score so obviously still disappointing but we thought his like you do say responsibility but his role in the team was going to be slightly different well the international best pickup i went with was uh t-bolt and uh other than his first over in the tournament which he took two wickets in um pretty lean tournament for him also yeah he was it's hard because he was disappointing on numbers, but he was still... I don't think he bowled all that poorly. No, no, he didn't bowl poorly at all. He just wasn't his normal fiery take cutler wickets in the you know, early parts of the game himself sort of thing. So he was still good to watch, don't get me wrong. It was awesome to watch him run in in the, in the BBL and he picked up a few wickets and bowled some important overs. But um, yeah, I think we just expected a little bit more from a man of, of his calibre. Yeah, definitely. But it was better than the tip I made. <laughs> What was your tip? I tipped Riley Russo. <laughs> <laughs> two two things that have done me there. One, I thought he was here for the whole tournament. So that was Prep disappointing when he when he left. But he was very disappointing. <laughs> he scored maybe one fifty. Yeah, I think maybe two. Yeah. But I thought he would have just he was he seemed like I didn't think he'd be as aggressive as what he was, mm. and which is good. Like that's what you want from your overseas T20 player. But I thought in a team where you had Alex Hales at the top, and then a lot of inexperience, um, even at the top and through the middle, I thought he would have played a slightly different role. So that was a bit disappointing. I think it's a big reason why the Thunder struggled to win games at the start of the tournament, unfortunately. All right, then we move on to our grand final prediction now. Both of our predictions are still well and truly alive um, with the Scorchers Sixers Grand Final, uh, which seems pretty obvious now, um, but, you know, still a good pick from the boys. Yeah, well, it's not set in stone yet. The Brisbane mm. Heat, um, they lose, well, both teams lose their Aussie internationals, but losing Steve Smith for the Sixers and replacing him with probably Daniel Hughes... Mm won't be as big of effect as the Heat losing Kawaja, Renshaw, Manus, and I think is that's Is Nisa it. in the India? No, I don't think he is. Yeah. So there's their their best three batters. Yeah, that's right. And their captain. Correct. So I think the Heat will have to play out of their skin and the Sixers will have to have another off night 
at the SCG tomorrow night for the the heat to progress to the final. So I think we've nailed that one. Yeah, I think so. And then um, the grand final will be played over in Perth. Is that right? Correct. Um, and I've got the uh, Scorchers winning 181. <laughs> Which I think will be close. If it's a good wicket over there, to be fair. It's been some high scores over there. And then the uh, sixes will be all out. Uh, or um, 20 overs done for 173. So I'm tipping the Scorchers. I think the whoever wins this game out of the sixes and the heat uh, going over and going to get beat by the Scorchers. Their team is too good. Their record at home is too good. They've only lost one game there this year. Who was that to, Brownie? Thunder. Thunder, correct. So, I think no matter who wins this game, I think the Heat, um, yeah, the Heat or the Sixers, they're going to be going over, and I think the Scorchers will be lifting the trophy at Optus Stadium. Heard it here first, guys. All right, do you want to move on to team of the tournament? Yeah, well, let's just discuss the tournament as a whole. We've sort of gone through our predictions, but we can go through and discuss some players Mm. that did well and some teams. Let's discuss... First of all, some teams. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that over the last probably five, even longer throughout the whole Big Bash as as a competition, that two teams have dominated, the Sydney Sixers and the Perth Scorchers. I think I heard a stat the other day that there's only been two finals where uh, neither of these teams have competed in the final. That's an incredible statistic. Yeah, and the Thunder was the year Thunder won, and then the year that um, the Renegades beat the Stars. Correct. Every other game has had either the Sixers or Scorchers in the final. And we talk about it all the time, but when you see these two teams play, both teams you can clearly identify the players in their team and the roles that those players have in the team. And... More importantly, I think, is they have a great balance, both teams, of youthful players that give, get given a license to go out there and play their cricket, and then also a mix of more experienced guys that have been there and done that, and come these high-pressure pressure, pressure situations, they know exactly what to do, how to do it, and they get it done a lot more times than they don't. And... Greg Shippard, the Sixers coach, always talks about winning big and losing small. I think that's a phrase that a lot of these other clubs can take on. If you watch uh, the, the Hurricanes and how they played, they look like a team that were happy to take risks throughout the whole game. And you'll see throughout their season, they uh, lost a lot of crucial stages in matches because I think that was ultimately their downfall. They couldn't consistently play... Um, the brand of cricket they wanted to because they were taking high risks throughout the entire game. And if you compare that to like the Sixers or the Scorchers, they're ultimately taking high percentage um, or low risk, high percentage safety options so that they can take games deeper. And you see both of these teams often win games in the last over when Dan Christian's on strike to face the last ball or Ashton Turner's out there in the last over because they're taking these games deep rather than looking to win games in the first five overs or take wickets throughout the surge or whatever that high risk might be in um, in their approach. Yeah, I like it. I think um, when I watch the two top teams, the big difference that I see and something that you said, Cam, is just 
the clear identification and understanding and trust of each role and each member in that team. They know what they're there to do really well. They don't try and go outside those boundaries. They execute, like you said, high percentage plays. Um, and in a big tournament like the Big Bash, in terms of length, um, the more percentages you try and put in your favor, by the back end of the tournament, you're really going to see those results. And I think that's just so clear with those two top teams. Well, this was the one of the first years that the Sixers actually started slow. Yeah, yeah, loss, loss. And even I got a little bit worried. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> Lack of trust, jugs. Lack of trust for your team. But you, like you said, it's just the... The high percentage plays, knowing that they can take games deep, take it deep, take it deep. Ultimately, they know that they've got the players in their team that are going to win these moments at the back end of a game. And it was really frustrating watching the Hurricanes this year because, like, often they were, they'd lost, like, four or five wickets before the 10-over break. Mm. And while they got probably arguably still the best batting order on paper... What we ultimately saw was a team that was happy to go out there, take high risks, knowing or thinking, not knowing because it didn't work for them, thinking that if that didn't work for them, that someone else could come in and um, do the role for their team. But ultimately, if everyone's batting with that mindset, um, like we said, it's not going to be easy to consistently uh, make the scores that they needed to or chase the runs that they required to. Whereas you watch some of the players even like cam bancroft and ashton turner for the scorches at the back end like sometimes they were soaking up balls at the start of their innings mm. but you could see how much they accelerated at the back end of the innings when a they had wickets in hand and b they were set and you know it's just simple like very simple part of cricket but you can just see if you consistently execute that process that you're going to achieve uh, the outcome or the results that you want to I think, and I can't speak for all the games. Uh, I went to one game this year, the uh, Derby um, versus the Thunder and the Sixers, and I really wish that they had on TV a little uh, map of the field so you knew sort of how mm, the tactics behind idea. the bowler. Um, but it was so great to go to a game live, which I haven't done in a while, and identify the tactics based on where the fielders were, um, you know, situations of the game. You just got much more of a feel for how the captains were operating and the uh, Sixers tactically were just so well-oiled that you could tell that they had really clear plans depending on uh, what wicket they were playing on, who was batting. Um, you know, It was just so precise um, that I think they're just a mile in front of other teams in terms of their tactics too. I think it must be really well communicated uh, within their team to know how if um, their roles do change, which is uh, not very often at all, it's well communicated so they know well in advance what needs to happen at certain grounds. Now, Sean Abbott hardly opened the bowling in the Big Bash this year. Um, went to spotless. Um, if you bowl first at spotless, it's usually you'll get a bit out of the wicket, a um, little bit inconsistent, and he was able to take like two or three wickets in the power play there, which essentially set them up to win the game. Um, and then again, you see Moses come out, Silk come out, who are so good at just accumulating balls and absorbing the pressure that once they've done that, they clip up the rate and all of a sudden, um, when they were going at just under a run of ball, they finished with a strike rate of 130. And I think sometimes during the big bash with those less experienced teams, we saw a bit of panic. Uh, you very, very rarely will see any panic from uh, a, a side like the Sixers and the Scorchers. And I think that just separates those two top teams again from everyone else. 
Yeah, awesome. All right, you got anything else, or should we move into the team of the tournament? I mean, the only other thing I'll touch on, it was so great to see the um, international players come back and play. Mm. Um, s- such a great job by Fox to have them mic'd up as well. Um, just to <laughs> Every game. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Like, yeah, yeah. It just adds such a great element to it, um, listening to tactics or how the wicket's going or conversations in the middle with the batters, um, and then obviously to witness what uh, Smith did um, was awesome and even, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure we all knew he was uh, out to prove a point, but even at the uh, AB medal the other day, he was up on stage and said, yeah, I felt like I had something to prove, and I think I've Is done that now. Is that what he now. said? Yeah. I didn't see his speech. He said, I think I've done that now. He said, albeit it was domestic cricket, but it was still a you know a really good time uh, that he enjoyed, and, and scoring those runs on some of the wickets that he did it on um, was just so impressive to watch. Actually, we didn't touch on our last prediction was to go through our top five. And let's just talk about a couple of teams that found their way back into the top five that haven't been there for a while. So Renegades. You tipped the Renegades and I tipped the Heat. Mm. And we both got that right, or like ultimately. However, we both tipped the Hurricanes. And as we spoke about why we think they didn't make the five, but what did you notice about the Renegades throughout the tournament to get them... Well, they finished third. Oh, well, I mean, they had a couple of standout performers. I mean, having Finchie back is just like, that's game-changing. I mean, even if he didn't score the runs that he did, you know, it was great to see him back amongst the runs in Big Bash cricket. But his brain, his uh, just uh, presence, the calmness that he would bring to the team. But I also feel like uh, some of their younger players who who have been young over the last few years have finally got enough experience to probably execute a bit more than what they have in Mm. the past. Um, and then obviously someone like Tommy to have uh, the bowling season he did, um, you know, went a long way to, to winning there, uh, to getting themselves into the top five. Well, Tommy, he Tommy Rogers, he was probably ended up being the signing of the tournament yeah, for local definitely. players. Yeah, that's right. Either him or a guy will get into Paddy Dooley for our team of the tournament. Mm. Them two probably had the most impact on their teams in regards to local players. And it's probably a slightly different thing uh, reason why the heat went so well, I reckon they they kind of come out of the blocks pretty well, and then they had a, a string of losses through the middle, and then they really benefited when their international yeah. players come back. Like we spoke about, Renshaw won them a couple of games, Kawaja won them a couple of games. Marnus didn't have the impact that he would have liked. It would have been scored a good seventy. Yeah, yeah, he did in the same game that Uzi got runs. Mm. Um, it's just the presence of these guys that would give everyone else so much confidence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think you know, even with I know we spoke about John well, John O'Wells. He had a bit of a lean tournament, but who knows the off-field role that he played and how oh, much confidence definitely. he brought to the players around him as well. Well, you spoke about for the Renegades going back to them and how some of their younger guys like uh, Harper won them a couple of games. Sutherland, Sutherland won them definitely quite a few games actually. Yeah. He was outstanding. He had a great tournament, yeah. I dare say that these older guys that... Well, not older, but more experienced Mm. guys that have been there and done that would have had a big impact on these younger guys executing these high-pressure situations. But back to the heat, I think probably their best player would have been Michael Nessa. Yeah, yeah, he was awesome. And so he should be. He uh, has had so much time around that Aussie camp now. He would have learnt so much. Um, He'd also just be chewing at the bit to get a bit of cricket... Uh, behind him because he's sort of been sitting on the sidelines a little bit now because he's um, in and around those test squads. So 
Um, he's awesome to watch. He's just the biggest trier ever. I think the thing to take away from it, though, is even in short format T20 cricket, the ability to like move the ball early in the power play, you saw even, like obviously, he took a lot of wickets. Um, I think he finished third in the wickets, but also like he rarely went for any runs. Yeah, well, it works well for him, doesn't it? I mean, you listen to the batters who bat in the power play, and their number one role is to score as many as they can in the first four overs, and then they usually reassess. So, I mean, if you're opening the bowling and you can bowl a good sort of four or five-day length, move the ball both ways, I mean, they're going to be playing shots, so you're always going to have opportunities to take wickets. Yeah, and like the power of, we saw it, who was the guy for the strikers last year? Can't believe I can't think of his name. Dan Worrell. Oh yeah, big it, Frankie. Yeah, Frankie Worrell. <laughs> he was a similar. He was bowling very similar to Nessa bowled this Frankie. season, and he was also someone that went for like often four or five runs per over mm. in the power play. Mm. So when these other teams um, have these guys that can actually move the ball, like the ability to move the ball in the air and off the wicket but obviously mainly in the air with the new ball it's actually a, a strike weapon in terms of wickets but also in terms of uh limiting runs in the power play because the ball's moving around so i think that's something that the heat identified really well they often bowled nessa two overs in the power play and then they would either um bowl a quick and then often sneak a spin over in for that fourth over as well so yeah i think this year we often i don't know if there's a statistic just going off my gut sort of here i reckon there was a, a lot more wickets in the power play than usual this year i just think being only four overs the batters identify that uh, you know obviously the ball's hard at this time it's a time where we can try and score quickly where sort of in your international cricket or a couple of years ago when our power play was six there didn't seem to be quite the amount of rush as it does now. Just seems like the game starts pretty quickly um, in terms of like batters identifying that it's only four overs, it's only 24 balls. What kind of damage can we do? Um, and I just reckon you know that played really well in into some of the opening bowlers' hands. I, I just found, you know, thinking back to the early games, even where Thornton was taking wickets, Bolt was taking wickets early, and then Nisa come in took wickets early. Um, yeah, I just think the the four over power play might have something to do with that. Mm, nice. All right, let's get on to our team of the tournament. We'll run through player by player, give a little uh, summary of what we think they did well to uh, have success throughout the tournament. So the first guy who ended up being the player of the tournament and opening the bat is Matt Short from the Adelaide Strikers. Yeah, what a um, what a player Matt Short is. <laughs> and, you know, like, is he someone who could potentially go to international honours in this format? I don't know. It's pretty hard to break into one of yeah, those Yeah, not, the, not yet into that Australian team. <laughs> but just a phenomenal season for him. Basically, you know, without him, I don't know how many games the Strikers would have won. Yeah, he. I tipped the Strikers to run last. Mm. And he was obviously a big reason why they won so many games. That 100 he hit when they were chasing 227. Incredible. That was, that was world-class innings, that. Not just, like obviously scoring 100 but the way he set the innings up to run down a record total that was unbelievable but also like he's a three-dimensional player i'd love to just see the stat on how many times he took a wicket in the first over yeah 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 he often bowled the first over and then wouldn't bowl again mm. occasionally snuck another over in um either fifth over or... oh not really he either bowled like the fifth over so they talk about the three easiest overs in Big Bash being the first, the fifth, and the ninth. To bowl. Yeah. So the first, obviously, 
it's a bit contradict like or not contradictory a bit controversial because obviously the first over it's a power play over but like you said um and taking risks so he'd bowl the first over then either sneak the fifth or ninth over in fifth being the first over out of the power play and ninth being last over last over it's funny how people talk so much about the the ninth over if they didn't have a little drinks break yeah it would mean nothing yeah exactly right um so yeah matt short but also he's fielding as well he took that catch against the uh thunder when they got bowled out for 15 at first slip but also he took quite a few runouts at um deep square leg or more deep mid-wicket um, throughout the middle overs when spinners were bowling because obviously they played two spinners often throughout the tournament. So he was often in the game in the field as well. So fantastic tournament from Matt Short, a guy that um, has relished, and he speaks about this too, about relishing an opportunity. He often batted four, five, or six for the strikers, even when he was at the Renegades, I think, before he went to the strikers. And then they threw him at the top of the order couple of years ago did okay last year did pretty well or well um and this year was just outstanding so um a guy that really enjoyed opening the batting now he in the team of the tournament is opening with a guy by the name of steve smith yeah no brainer (laughs) i I he must have finished inside the top 10 run scorers he finished ninth and he definitely hit the most sixes i'm pretty sure the bloke just hit sixes for fun so um yeah I, i mean that's a pretty easy one we spoke a little bit about smithy before and sort of the point that he wanted to prove in in this format but uh to be the first sixes player to ever score 100 and then do it again in the next game um yeah there's not much to say about smithy's in my opinion probably the best batsman australia's ever produced yeah and just off smith for a second and on the sixes that was crazy the sixes were the last team to have a player score 100 yeah, which just shows the depth, yeah. uh, how people un- identify their role and, and yeah. how good they are as a team. Um, awesome. And like you said, I didn't see his speech for the... Um, Cricket medals? Yeah, for the... What did he win? The Alan Border medal. Alan Border medal. But you could see the purpose that he had and he wanted to prove a point. Like, he didn't play in the World Cup. Yeah, in yeah. the T20 which, World Cup. Which is bizarre. Um, he he said, I think people wrote me off in the short format, and yeah. I think I've proven that point now. Yeah, good. So I think moving forward, he could be the answer to replacing... A Finch. Um, yeah, good. All right, next uh, in the team of the tournament, batting three is another guy um, who... We've touched on. Yeah, we've touched on, and that is Aaron Hardy. Yeah, again, we've spoken about Aaron. He's... A serious player, one that will play for Australia, no doubt. Um, for me, what stood out was just his power. Um, you know, he, he strikes the ball so well with, like, such simple technique and such good form, um, which probably helps his power a little bit, I suppose. But uh, such a proper uh, player in terms of technique, but uh, just has that raw power as well. And the opportunity was obviously limited for his bowling, but I think he's a, a pretty serious bowler too. Yeah, well, <clears throat> when he did bowl, he took he took quite a few mm. wickets too um, throughout the tournament. All right, skipper of the team and batting four, and perhaps one of the better stories to come out of the uh, BBL this year was Aaron Finch. Yeah, pump for Finchy. I mean, he's probably another one the media in Australia and you know, maybe around the world rid off a little bit, um, thought he was sort of past it and... You know, I've always really liked Finchy, um, mainly just for the his personality. I mean, we, we all love watching him go about his business when he was at the top of his game, but 
um, yeah, just really happy for him to be able to go out and contribute to a team that uh, obviously has struggled over the last few years other than their win uh, a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, for someone like Finchie, I think everyone's just really happy to see to see him do that. And whether he's on the field or, or commentating, I just love when he's doing well. Yeah, he's... I really also enjoyed it when he was in the commentary box, but loved it when he was mic'd up. And he was, talk about someone that was mic'd up a lot, he was nearly mic'd up every game. Mm. But that one game where, I can't remember who they beat, was it the Strikers? Or the Heat? They beat someone at the back end of the tournament when they probably didn't need to win, but obviously a win helps at the back end of the tournament. And he basically commentated the last eight overs of the game and yeah, told phenomenal. everyone exactly uh, what they were going to do when they were probably uh, sort of taking a lot of risks at that stage of the game to get back into the game. It was against the Heat. It was when the Heat bottled it. And um, he basically told everyone how he was going to do it, and then they did it. So that was great to listen to. Um, the wicket keeper of the team and batting five from the Perth Scorchers is Josh Inglis. Yeah, I mean, he is our... I mean, other than Kerry, our best keeper, batter in Australia, as far as I'm concerned. Um, well, that's a big call. Yeah, well, I just, you know, he's probably had a limited opportunity. He's played for Australia a little bit, and I was always sort of on the fence. And then the way he sort of uh, started the tournament with, I think, you know, a couple of 50s, or 70, um, I think he really stamped um, sort of where he sits in the pecking order in terms of wicketkeeper batters and I'm, I'm actually really on him at the moment You're really on him yeah, yeah, he's a phenomenal he's, player he's an awesome player and uh, a massive reason um, as to why the, the scorchers are so good and away from his batting um, very very rarely makes a mistake and, and uh, even takes a few half opportunities behind the stumps yeah he did have an impressive tournament He he's a guy that really takes the game on he's a 360 batter reverses ramps but also hits down the ground really strong yeah, too. That's right. So he's he's an exciting prospect. It's interesting, or it's going to be interesting where he gets opportunity moving forward because mm. we talk about how hard that T20 and one day team to break into is. And I think he's already there enough that he doesn't necessarily have to break into it. He just needs an opportunity. Just needs an opportunity. Yeah. All right. Batting six in the team is Tim David. Yeah, all right. <laughs> he's good. I mean, we all know what we get with Tim David. He's out there to blast the game, uh, move the game forward, and it takes an absolute skill to be able to go out and hit from ball one, something that not many people uh, or cricketers are able to do at all, and, and he's sort of really finding a role, uh, one, firstly, in the Australian team doing that, and, and now for the for the Hurricanes. So in very, very impressive um, for what he's able to do, and I think we've got to accept that you know he he will have a few lean patches because of of his role, um, and I think we just need to allow him to keep playing his game and, and backing his skill because he's the kind of guy that he'll win you one out of three games, might get two ducks, but then he'll hit you seventy or forty balls, and and that'll be that. See, I agree with that, but his season was actually quite the opposite. Mm. He, if you clicked on the comments for this <laughs> the post when the BBL team of the tournament went out everything was about Tim David so he actually finished 7th in the runs he scored 354 runs however I think it was a year where he he contributed in nearly every game mm. and he had to for that hurricane side but we didn't really see many games where he went off and won them the game obviously they didn't win many games but I think he sh- actually showed a different side to him in the tournament where he was facing a few more balls and 
um, played a slightly different role, even though he in that team that wasn't his role. It was because they were. He was a bit forced into it. Yeah, that's right. But I think it's a good thing for him moving forward that he actually was a, effective in that role, and he, while he didn't win many games for his team, he got his team from a position where they had no right to win into a position where they actually could win had an opportunity to yeah so i actually i was impressed with him throughout the tournament i think he was um under bold for the the um hurricanes too he's someone that's much like matt short Short, yeah just bowls little nude nuts but can bowl over around the wicket and bowl to a field and um especially if there's a long boundary Mm. he can bowl to a long boundary set a field throughout the middle overs and force batters to take risks and even that <laughs> did you watch the game where he bowled the last over uh no it also against the heat they bottled another one and um they needed well the last over they ended up needed 10 but they needed like 12 off three overs or something and they absolutely oh, bottled that's it. right yeah 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 but he bowled like three yorkers and they were home and then he bowled the ball that was well above the waist it didn't get caught a no ball but, um, yeah, and then he's also someone that's extremely effective in the field too, often fielding at long on um, or cow corner. I don't think I've ever seen him drop a catch and also um, has a very strong arm on him too. So be interesting to see how his career takes shape um, and, you know, what kind of opportunities he continues to get. And it reminds me a little bit of, like, Chris Lynn when he first came on and, you know, could hit the ball a million miles and got some opportunity, but was unable to sort of uh, cement a place in, I suppose. I mean, I know Lynn, got a couple of one-day games, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Tim David sort of moves forward and, and what role um, Cricket Australia see him having in the future. Awesome. The next two guys are guys have spoken all about a lot, so we'll kind of scam over these. Uh, Michael Nessa and Sean Abbott. Yeah, yeah. We spoke about Nessa and uh, I suppose the experience um, that he's now had being around the Aussie setup, and that's obviously paying dividends. And then Abbott's obviously the best, uh, probably the best BBL bowler we've ever seen. So, uh, yeah, two guys who are continuing just to show their class year in and uh, year out. The next guy is AJ Ty or Andrew Ty, AJ Ty from the Perth Scorchers. I like this one because AJ Ty has had some great tournaments and I reckon just the last couple of years people started to go oh maybe not the same as he used to be a bit past it and he showed his class again this year and you know he's he's probably your definition of a battler he's just (laughs) he's just found a way to be very effective Um, that's a bit harsh yeah and he's definitely not but I think you know yeah yeah. he's got battler vibes he does and I think uh, yeah just honestly really happy for for AJ to have another really good big bash tournament after a couple of years where you know, he was probably seen to just be pushed out the back door a little bit in terms of international roles. Well, it was only a couple of years ago. I remember watching him bowl in a T20 international, and it was just he come to the point. Kind of reminds me of Samsey bowling for the Thunder now, where yeah, he become extremely predictable. Like yes, he's got some skills, but batters were just setting up for it, and he was yeah not very effective at all. But I think the last two seasons of the Big Bash, he's gone back to bowling fast. I think he took. A lot of wickets this year, bowling fast and into the wicket, especially over at Optus Stadium, setting square fields, bowling fast in the wicket. He got a lot of courts like that were hit high on the bat. So I think he surprised a few guys by actually looking to bowl fast, and then off the back of that, his skill set and his variations uh, back to being um, effective because of the reason of 
having a bit more of a intimidation factor of having 140 Ks rather than perhaps only bowling 130 and having a lot of change ups. Yeah, and like his fast is fast. Like his fast yeah, isn't yeah. like a mid one thirty. Like I've seen him hit like mid one forties. Yeah, yeah. Well, he hadn't for a few years. Yeah, so. so it's really good to see him back bowling nice and quick. And then the next guy is a guy we've also touched on, but it's um, very exciting that Tom Rogers sneaks his way into this team. It's one of your mates actually, Brownie, a fellow. Yeah, uh, fellow ghosty back yeah. in the day. Played a lot of uh, cricket with Tommy. I even played a bit of PGs with Tommy and. We um, played against you in a PGs game, actually, and he was running in sniffiness when it was dead dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you he remember was, that game? I do remember <laughs> that game. I think I ran you out, Jugs, actually, that game. No, I think that was a different game. Different game. Um, so, yeah, look, pump for Tommy, especially because, I mean, he obviously got moved on from the Renegades, and Tommy's such a goer. No matter what he did, and I remember him sort of operating at training, and when we played together, he was always a guy that wanted the ball, uh, wanted the moment, wanted to bat um, in the hard situations, and then... Uh, being sort of moved on from the the Hurricanes and then getting another opportunity here. I think, uh, in a way, you can sort of go two ways. You can sort of feel the pressure and think, maybe I'm being sort of pushed out of professional cricket. But Tommy being Tommy, you know, very cash kind of guy, I think he just started to really enjoy his cricket again. And, um, you know, he was always having a smile on his face and his results were phenomenal this year. So really happy for him. He's just such a top fella. Yeah, he was a guy that... Uh, I remember when we were doing the pod just before the start of the season and I was going through doing some predicted lineups. I kind of just, oh, yeah, Tom Rogers at the Renegades, he'll play there. And you kind of just thought, oh, that's all right. Yeah. Sort of bit of a... Pick up of the tournament now. Bit of a bat lay or bowl through the middle for him, hopefully play some sort of role in the team. All of a sudden, he's, even with a team with Kane Richardson in mm-hmm. it, he become the guy that bowled the first over bowled a Sergio over with Richo yep. and then Richo kind of bowled the 19th over which at times can be more important than the 20th, 20th correct. but Rogers actually bowled the 20th over nearly every game except for a few games where they needed him earlier and then Sutherland bowled the last over. Yeah, this is actually the second team of the tournament um, Tommy has made a couple yeah, of years really? ago. He made the team of the tournament for the uh, Sheffield Shields um, oh, tournament. Yeah. Sorry, not Big Bash, but so he, he's shown his uh, class in a few different formats, and uh, he's a sneaky batter when he um, sort of gets a bit of rhythm too. So I don't know what the future holds for Tommy. I obviously, some more big bash definitely, but be interesting to see him get back in sort of the domestic setup as well. Yeah, oh, awesome. So the last guy that Ryan's out, Ryan's out, that's not a saying. That, what word am I looking for? I don't know, brother. <laughs> that rounds, that's what I'm looking at. Rounds <laughs> yeah. out the 11 is Paddy Dooley. Hey, yeah, uh, Paddy Dooley, the Hooley Dooley man. The great Didn't man. the commentators love Paddy too? Yeah, how can you not? Yeah, yeah, bloody helicopter man. It's crazy. So I actually went to Dubai with Paddy Dooley, and he was a phenomenal, well, still is obviously a phenomenal cricketer, but he was... Same action? No, no. no. Let me speak, brother. Sorry, mate. Well... <laughs> <laughs> He was actually a guy that all of us over there said this guy's gonna. At when you know when you're 16, you think everyone's gonna play for Australia. Mm. But he was one. There was probably him and two other guys that we said these guys are actually gonna play for Australia. Who were the other two? Oh, I won't name them. <laughs> That's so boring. Well, they don't play cricket anymore. Yeah. Anyway, um, he and then well, you didn't we didn't hear from him. Mm. Like he he um just played in Brisbane in premier cricket there and 
did okay. He was often in the top kind of five wicket takers for the Premier Comp up there, keeping an eye on how he was going. And then all of a sudden, he got that game for the Heat last year when they were um, COVID-affected. And I was like, oh, my God, what's that he done to his bowling action? Mm. I had no idea that he changed his action. Um, he said that he shifted his action based off Boomerah. Um, which is crazy that it, that would even cross uh, spinner's, mind. spinner's mind, let alone like just an orthodox spinner. But obviously he's taken his game to a completely new level. Even when he went down to the Hurricanes this year, I didn't have him in my lineup to start the season. Mm. And he's finished their player of the tournament and obviously in the Big Bash team of the tournament. And talk about a guy like there's not many spinners even like Zampa that actually play a big of a role in a team as what he did for the Hurricanes yeah it's actually when you think about the spinners who are effective in the short format these days they all have like very quick actions and run-ups yeah yeah um, yeah mystery yeah yeah so there's obviously less cues and less time to react and you can't visualize or see the ball as clearly so it's interesting there's definitely something in it about running in a little bit harder and having a little bit more going on in your action that i suppose is troubling batsmen a little bit more yeah definitely you hear the commentators throughout the tournament when they were commentating him encouraging young bowlers to actually try something different because mm. batters are going to struggle for it his challenge will be next year obviously he come into this tournament no one mm, still right. knowing who he was but next tournament there'll be a lot more uh video analysis done on definitely. his bowling but because I, I still think like it just baffles me when commentators talk to people mic'd up mm. and they still don't know like what he bowls they don't know if he bowls leg spin or off spin mm. or whatnot mm. like he's obviously not a traditional orth, like left arm ortho but you can see Pure like mystery yeah he's he is a left arm ortho that just like flicks them out the front of the hand as his variation and then um constantly bowls different speeds but like commentators still calling him leg spinner like he's not a <laughs> leg spinner but he's a very good Spinner that had a successful tournament, and you could see the energy he brought to that Hurricanes team that was took a team at, throughout the tournament, like you said, that looked very flat and put some competitive juices back into their performances. Like it. Well, now that we've rounded that out, thanks, <laughs> um, why don't we uh, finish off with uh, you giving the rundown of the uh, new CEO approach to the Big Bash? Yes, so I've been thinking about this throughout this tournament i've never really thought about it previously and steve smith probably played a big role in um my thinking for this idea but there's been a lot of uh comparison going on between like the bbl and the ipl and obviously the bbl doesn't even come close to comparing to what the ipl is and produces but I think in order for the, the next step to make the BBL better is to have our Australian players, our test players, playing every game or most games in the BBL. You saw even myself, like a guy that loves the Big Bash, my interest in the Big Bash when Smith come back in and Wrench, even guys like Renshaw and Quite even Nessa, like yeah. these guys that don't necessarily dominate test cricket when they come back in it just like took the big bash to a new level definitely the intensity rose um even just listening to the way those players talk mic'd up like, yeah they're just so sure of what's going on um the confidence um of these players i think it's so obvious um in comparison to your domestic players 
that extra level um, that you sort of go to when you're playing international cricket and bringing that to the BBL is, I mean, it would be so great to see that more consistently. And I also think it's better for everyone else in those squads to have exposure to those guys, play against those guys. It's probably making Australian cricket stronger. Well, definitely. And then what I think as well, a big factor is at the moment and this season in particular the bbl spent a lot of or invested a lot of time and changes into getting the best internationals involved and obviously i can't speak on behalf of the internationals but if our best players our aussie best players aren't playing in the tournament it's not a great look to try and get internationals into the game Mm. but if these guys from like I said, I really wanted to see some England players and some Pakistan players. If we want them to come out and they're playing with the likes of Smith, Warner, Kawaja, Cummins, Stark, Lyon, like if they're playing with these guys, I think we're a better chance at getting them mm. out for the tournament as well. Yeah, and the internationals that we already have that are coming over, and I know you'll touch on this, Jugs, the length of the tournament means we don't even really see them for that long anyway. And I think that disrupts teams and franchises as well. Um, but yeah, it just it, it would be great if we could restructure uh, the format um, to see, one, our test players or our international players play uh, more consistently, but then have the internationals around for the whole tournament. Yeah, awesome. So the hardest, obviously the big challenge for the Big Bash is trying to compete with the Australian summer. Um, you play anywhere from five to eight test matches during the summer and obviously the Big Bash has to try and slot its way in there as well. So it's obviously a major challenge from a um, scheduling point of view to make these two things run together. However, my idea is the Sydney test does not work anymore because it rains for three out of the five days and it's very frustrating for everyone. They said some stat the other day like there was like 34 days have been washed out in the last whatever games it was and the next most after that was like six and 34 is at the g SEG. yeah yeah wow so it's just got to go incredible so i think they move they they change it from the new year's test to bring it forward to the first of december so it's still the sydney test still holds a significance because it's the first day of summer so every time at the moment you play the New Year's test, it's exciting because obviously it's a new year and it's obviously the Jay McGrath day and whatnot has a big role in the Sydney test. To keep a significant date, you just change it to the first day of summer because that's a significant day for like the Australian cricket community or followers as well. So I think the first day of summer still holds significance. It probably becomes either the second or third test of the series the series just starts a fraction earlier, probably at the Gabba or the Adelaide Oval, wherever you want to start it. Um, then the Boxing Day becomes the last game of the series. That becomes game five or whatever the summer looks like. Um, it probably, in my opinion, puts more emphasis on the Boxing Day, despite not many series in Australia lately getting to day five, uh, game five and having a significance in the series. But... As we saw even in the last series, the significance of the last game, if Australia won that Sydney test, they automatically qualified for the, um, the what's that test series called? The test championships. And you could see Australia were trying to win, obviously declaring on Kawaja 195 was a good demonstration of that. So 
the dead rubber games are still important and any game at the S at the MCG for Boxing Day is significant as well. So if you turn that to the last test, what that does is it frees up the whole of January. Now my thinking here is to make January big bash. It's still school holidays, it's summer, kids are out and about throughout the whole January period. You kick off the 1st of January is the first day of Big Bash. You put the Sixers versus the Thunder. You put the uh, the six, um, what are they called? Stars versus the Renegades at the MCG. And you kick off the Big Bash on January the 1st. You might not have all the Aussie players for that game if they wanted to take a week off or whatnot because they finish probably on the 29th or 28th or whatever it is. But you're going to have them for the entire tournament. Off the back of this, next season it's obviously impossible because the West Indies, how exciting, are coming out to play a test series throughout January that finishes on like the 28th or something, which is just ridiculous. But moving forward, I reckon this can work. What do you think? I've heard this a few times from you now, Jugs. I'm oh, missing. and also, I knew I was missing something. So we've got to make it shorter. So Yeah, of course. You play... You play each team twice, so you play 14 games in total. And to make it go quicker, instead of having a home away games, you only play five home games, and then you play two games at um, like a neutral venue. So you might play the strikers at the MCG, and you play double headers. So there's two games at the MCG. There's like a three o'clock game, and then a seven o'clock game. So you pack out stadiums. Throughout the series, they said how hard it was to get people to fill big stadiums and the Big Bash had the best ratings on TV they've ever had but a lot of people spoke about how hard it was to get people to the game I think if you have double headers at big stadiums, the MCG, the SCG the Gabba, the Adelaide Oval Optus Stadium, though you probably don't want to send four teams to Perth I think you're going to fill the stadiums a lot easier too and the Big Bash, because people follow players, often you have people in states that go for other states even kids that we coach you have a lot of kids that go for the heat or the strikers or the stars so you also got supporters in other states that can go and watch their teams as well yeah so as i said i've heard this from cam a few times now and each time he probably probably grows on me a little bit more i think um no no brainer to make it shorter love the idea of having uh, some neutral grounds, uh, double headers on the same day, same ground to get bigger crowds. I think that's all really good stuff. Uh, love the idea of trying to have our internationals more um, available for the tournament. Um, the only thing that you know, you're going to struggle with jugs is obviously traditionalists. I mean, New Year's test, Jay McGrath day, moving that around, not fin- you know, ha- finishing on the Boxing Day test. Like All these things will be very hard to get across the line. Not to say that um, these, this wouldn't be better. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying uh, the likelihood of you know getting the the big dogs around this uh, pretty slim, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously you got to convince traditionalists that, but it's not that big of a change. That's like why I think it can work. It's literally changing one test well, match. Well, I understand that, and we don't know the inner sanctum. I, I, I feel like you know the New Year's test. I know that they do like. You know, New Year's lunches or something where yeah, all the they families do it at the come. Prime and, house, yeah. You know, there's there's all those sort of things to think about. I know families are really involved around Boxing Day and New Year's um, tests for the players. So, 
Um, but again, you know, there's a new influx of players every three, four, five years. The new norm for them will just be the new norm. So I think, yeah, um, thinking really well here, Jugs. I'm, uh, you've always been someone who's tried to move the game forward and improve the game. So I think if the Sydney test was a success over the last few years and it was a couple it of is games... Just struggling, that, isn't it? I mean... I don't even watch the Sydney test anymore. Yeah, it just yeah. rains. It's yeah. ridiculous. So. Yeah, we are struggling to have a good Sydney test. And, I mean, this year, Jay McGrath Day was complete washout. And also, what I forgot to say off the back of this is I think the wickets you play on will get a lot better too. So there's some horrendous wickets played on this season. In terms of Big Bash? Yeah, off yeah Big Bash. definitely. So for two reasons. One, the Sixers played the first half of their tournament, or more than that, on end wickets because... They had to prep up the SCG. Yeah, it makes a big difference, match. it does. And just having the international players play Big Bash, there's no way the curators aren't going to take a bit yeah, of extra yeah. time to prepare these wickets. Because they have... And, you know, as exciting as cricket is when sort of it can be low scoring and there's lots of wickets happening, like, you're getting crowds when balls are flying into the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Like, we want wickets where, you know, we're playing 160-plus most times. And, you know, unfortunately, bowlers, I mean, that's just what crowds want to see more often than not. And I remember they interviewed Steve O'Keefe in a game, and it was like the third time they'd played on the same wicket mm. because they had to obviously prepare a wicket for the New Year's test, which they ended up playing 20 overs on anyway. <laughs> and... Sock was just like almost laughing at how how much he loved bowling on this wicket mm. because it was so low and slow and mm. um, like it's not exciting cricket mm. especially when you have teams travel to Sydney to play the Sydney Sixers at, at the SCG mm. you might have like a Renegades who did well this year or Strikers or a um, Heat team come to Sydney mm. and it's like it's not very entertaining cricket when it's 120 plays 145 so yeah and I, I think the big bash i don't know i mean it's been around f- for so long but it, it still feels so new I definitely th- i think um they have earned the right to uh, um have uh, this tournament um take precedence um in terms of having players having good wickets um like it's a big tournament now and you know it attracts a lot of viewers and uh, it's spoken about a lot and, and it's a genuine pathway for a lot of young players coming through too to make a name for themselves so i just think you know can we step up the big bash and allow it to be a little bit more professional in terms of preparation and um, players and wickets i think we definitely can but uh, if test cricket is the one that's gonna you know be changed because of it i just see it that it's gonna be tough but yeah. i like it i do like it so let us know what you think if you're out there listening to this podcast today first of all thanks for sticking around it's been a bit of a longer episode for the my pick podcast so thanks for sticking around but let me know what you think there's probably a few other reasons why this might not work that we haven't thought of so uh, let us know what you think if or if you like this idea and you might want to add some extra rule changes or some extra modifications on top as well we love to hear what you're thinking and uh, talk about the bbl all day all night but ways that we can actually make it better and i don't think or i know that it would never be close to the ipl but i think we can get it a lot closer to competing or even like not letting (laughs) it's a joke watch you can't even watch it the league that all these blokes are going to play in 
Dubai or South Africa, where it is. I don't mm. even know where it is, but these internationals that are leaving the Big Bash, we want the Big Bash to be known as the second best T20 competition in the world Definitely. rather than just another one for players to come in and take some money take some money and hit some balls and move on to their next adventure mm, yeah awesome if you are listening to this and you're an athlete who may not know about my peak cam and i run a coaching business um that is uh, mainly based around skills and technique and tactics but we dive well and truly into the uh, holistic side which there are plenty of episodes on that on the my peak podcast if you're keen to get involved uh, in the my peak community and not just take your on-field performance to the next level but your off-field performance don't be afraid to reach out we run all year round in terms of coaching awesome all right we'll catch you next time on the meep on the my peak podcast